0: Welcome to Real Talk for Real Teachers. I'm Dr. Becky Bailey, the creator of Conscious Discipline, an expert in child development and education, and a lifelong teacher and learner. For those listening who are not aware of Conscious Discipline, it is a comprehensive, trauma-informed, brain-based, self-regulation program that combines discipline, social-emotional learning, and school culture into one integrated process. Real Talk for Real Teachers is a growing community of loving professionals who seek both to understand and be understood. Today, we're talking about peer coaching and the power in a phrase called paying it forward. It's been my experience that when it comes to learning something, the best way to truly learn it is first, do it, and second, teach it to others. It is that second step of teaching another person that fosters your own reflection metabolizing this skill on a deeper level and allows you to truly own your gifts. One of the guiding principles of conscious discipline is that whatever you offer to others, you strengthen in yourself. And as a peer coach, you learn, or not, but hopefully you learn to listen non-judgmentally to others, to notice successes and celebrate them in your colleagues. And as you do this for others, you strengthen these same skills in yourself. I mean, this is such a win-win. As you create a framework of self-discovery, you engage deep in your own self-discovery. As you build a trusting, collaborative, working relationship with others, you learn to trust deeper within yourself. As you share your skills and talents, you learn to be more conscious and intentional in your own life. Again, this is truly a win-win. Just hold on to the notion, what we offer to others, we strengthen in ourselves. So sometimes, though, it's been my experience, and I've coached a lot of people throughout my life, and I've had a lot of people coach me, that there's times when you're just not willing. You're not willing to coach others or to be coached. I've had that in my life, too. So what are these blocks? Well, in one word, fear. And many attributes of fear, fear of being found out you don't know what you're doing, fear of being perceived that you're a know-it-all, fear of being judged or becoming judgmental, and the list could go on and on and on. But for this moment, let's all take a deep breath together, those listening right now. So with me, we're going to inhale, exhale slowly. And let's see if you will allow yourself to know what those fears might be if you're harboring any of them. So in this kind of semi-relaxed state, see if you can fill in this blank. Just let it come to your awareness. If I allowed myself to be coached by my peer, I would fear they would blank. What comes up? If I allowed myself to be coached by my peer, I would fear they would. Let that come. Now, let's do another one. If I allowed myself to be willing to coach my peers and share my gifts with others, I would fear they would. And let it come up. Now, I want you to know that those fears that popped up in your head That you think you hold about others are limiting beliefs you hold about yourself. It is not, quote, in quotes, them holding these judgments about you. It is you holding these judgments about you. Then finally ask yourself, am I ready to share my gifts knowing that sharing mine in no way discounts the gifts of others? Let me say that again. Am I willing and ready to share my gifts, knowing that my gifts, my sharing, in no way discounts your gifts or your sharing? It does not put me at the front row on a bus, nor does it put me on the back row of a bus. It just allows me to sit next to someone dear and share blessings. Today, I've invited Alyssa McGraw, a 14-year veteran teacher who has her master's in elementary education and is certified in ESOL and Montessori to join us. Most of her public school career has been in grades three and four. I've actually been to Alyssa's class and I was in her class when she was in fourth grade. She's been teacher of the year for her school. That was in 2015 and then awarded best and brightest teacher award in 2016, 2017 year. So, One more thing I want you to know, Alyssa has been to the week-long Summer Institute four times. So those of you who've been once, there's many that come over and over and over again. She was a helper in two times during those times she came, which also is a great uh, way to do a win-win where you now get coached and be more close with your own peers and such. And she's conducted breakout sessions at those uh, week-long institutes for teachers worldwide. So, welcome, Alyssa, to Real Talk for Real Teachers.
1: Hi, Becky. Thank you for having
0: me. Well, I'm excited. I'm excited. <laughs> we have to move fast on this because she, her boy, has a big old baseball game this afternoon. I mean, does he? He does.
1: He does. Hopefully, the rain stays away. <laughs> yes. So, Alyssa, start with
0: how you kind of first got into Conscious Discipline. How it's impacted your teaching, and maybe even changed yourself. So, give us kind of a brief get goings summary
1: sure so uh, when my son was three we enrolled him in a Montessori school um, here in Stuart Florida and at the same time they asked if I would be willing uh, to teach there and they did what this thing called conscious discipline and it was I had no choice it was what I had to do and so I went in luckily there was a teacher in there also with me who had just come back from the week long and I was brand new to conscious discipline, had never heard of it. And I just, I had the opportunity to watch her and I was with her for two years. And it was so different for me because I came from a public school before that, where we had the flip charts, we had the color charts, we had the, you know, give out the paw prints and all of that. So at first I was a little taken back. Um, but then I watched just this beautiful environment of three to six year olds work together and solve their own problems. And I was hooked. And so two years after being at Bridges, I went to the week long and I spent two more years at Bridges Montessori and then transferred back into public school. And from there, I was the only person um, at my public school who was doing conscious discipline. So it was very eye opening, very lonely at first, um, but slowly people decided to, to join me.
0: So, when you were doing that and you were alone, obviously your principal said that's okay for you to do, right?
1: Yes. And actually, in the interview, I did say to her, you know, I I come from a Montessori school, but I do want you to know I practice conscious discipline and I don't just practice it, I live it. So, I really hope that's okay here. But it was funny because at the time she said, oh, well, you know, we have some people, you know, they wear those little aprons and they have those corners in the classroom and I said, okay, I understand. So I'm probably going to be the only one who truly does conscious discipline. And she says, yes, and that is just perfectly fine.
0: <laughs> well, good. And I know what you mean, because some people still think it's about decorating your classroom in a yes. certain way. And yes. and I know for a fact, it's provide uh, deep transformations within you. And can you speak to that before we move into the classroom? Have you found that you yourself have changed some?
1: Oh, absolutely. I grew up with a lot of anxiety. I was a gymnast and perfection was the key. You know, we all wanted to get that 10 and everything we did wrong was pointed out. And that's just the nature of the sport. And so I was very hard on myself and had a hard time accepting my flaws and, um, and communicating those and having emotions. And so, personally, as a wife, a mother, a teacher, a daughter, um, it's just really changed me and helped me to be the person I always knew I was. Um, willing to go out and take chances, make oops, make mistakes, and share my emotions. So it's it's been a huge positive journey for me, life changing. Wonderful,
0: yeah. And I'm assuming that that set you up for the courage to do what you started to do then. <laughs> so before we even move into that, so you're at the school, your class is doing conscious discipline. This is fourth grade. Yes. Did your fourth graders have any problem accepting conscious discipline?
1: Well, and that was one of my concerns because at the Montessori school, I had three to six year olds. And so I came in and I actually, when I started at um, my public school, I was in third grade um, and I did that for two years, but still, you know, around the same age group. And I really was curious how it would transfer into this age group, this really social um, kind of judgmental time of their lives. And I really feel like it's how you present it and it's how you live it. It's the environment you make. And so I just went in with an open mind and thought, I'm going to help change, change these students and I'm just going to do things differently. And I know it's a beautiful thing. and I'm just going to do it. And at first, you know, there were some giggles, like when we did the Brain Smart Start and we did a song, there were, there were some giggles. But then eventually they realized, wow, we really like this. And our teacher does it with us. And it felt good to them. So they were very willing. And then two years later, when I moved up to fourth grade, again, same thing, a little bit of apprehension. You know, are they going to accept this? Are they now too old for this? But they're not. And um, the hardest part about today, which was our last day of school, was sending my students to fifth grade because they already said they're going to miss it so much. And they're going to miss the songs that we do and the brain breaks and the safe place and the the kindness notes. They're really saddened by it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So... So they're never they're never too old for it.
0: I don't think we're ever too old. I mean, I'm still no. <laughs> not too old for it. I guess I'm getting so old I might forget that I need to do it, but I'm not <laughs> too old to do it. Absolutely not. So now you're at school. When you're the only one, could you tell the difference between your students and the other, say, third or fourth grade students around? And could your children actually tell the difference in how you were operating or their behavior?
1: Yes. My students always use the word calm and they always viewed them our class as being calm and the others being a bit unruly. And another thing they like to bring up is, you know, they said, Mrs. McGraw, you never yell at us and you you give us a chance to voice our opinions. And another thing they always noticed is that when there was a conflict in the classroom, I would listen to both sides. And they always said in the past they would get referrals or they would get yelled at, or, you know, they would get notes home. And they just felt like they had a piece of that that part with me where we could work together, but really the word calm always came up for them.
0: Yeah. That sense of shared power that you allowed them to participate in their own life in essence. Yes. So now as this kind of permeated and you kept doing this, did slowly other teachers become interested? So I know for a fact that you got into peer coaching. So tell us kind of how you tiptoed into that arena.
1: So the first year was really kind of a dip my toes in, let's kind of see. Um, you know. So we were kind of the oddball out, the one classroom. But the next year after that, um, I got a little girl in my room who is still my life changer. She pulled out her hair, she picked her nose, she sucked her thumb. She was just that child that everyone had trouble with. And By December of that year, she had stopped pulling out her hair, so she no longer had to wear a hat or a wig to school. And that was kind of the changing point, I think, for a lot of teachers at my school because they thought, oh my goodness, what is this pixie dust (laughs) Alyssa has? How did she do this? And so that year, again, that was my second year at Palm City. Two teachers who were on my team kind of started asking questions and just getting curious. And so towards the end of that school year, they actually brought their classes into my room and we all did a brain smart start together. And from that moment, they both were hooked and they went to CD1 that summer. So my third year at Palm City, I moved up to fourth grade. So three of us were then fully doing conscious discipline. And then two years later, three more teachers went to CD1. And that was the year that I started meetings after school, voluntary meetings, just to, they could come and get information from me. They were very, you know, no real direction at that point, but just kind of a place for us to come together and see if they were still willing to try some things. Um, And at that point, there was probably 10 to 12 teachers who would come once a month. And then this year, jump ahead two years later, I'm up to about 25 to 30 teachers who come. This time I have meetings twice a month because the interest was so big. And I have administrators there, guidance counselors, paras, the resource officer came to the last few. And this time we did more of a directed book study. So there, it was more formal this time. And I made slideshows and I brought in activities. Um, and then during my planning, I actually go into these teachers' classrooms and help coach them. Okay, so
0: let's go into that. So this kind of organically grew, is what I'm saying, with your passion, (laughs) your inspiration, and your willingness to volunteer your time. So, I mean, that's not organic, but you're quite the (laughs) table to farm, whatever, farm to (laughs) table or something, whatever it is.
1: I just believed in it so much that I I couldn't help but share, especially when people started showing interest.
0: Okay. So now we're at the point where you're actually going into their classrooms. Now, I know from my life as a teacher and my life as a coach, you know, that one's classroom is kind of sacred space, you know, what you doing in my classroom kind of thing. (laughs) Right. So did they just invite you in because you had established a relationship? But how did you get actually into that classroom?
1: Oh, it was definitely through relationship building. And, you know, they would kind of ask questions while, like, in passing, or maybe they would come in after my, after school one day into my classroom and just kind of pick my brain. And so I knew the interest was there. And so we started forming relationships. And then maybe at the meeting, something clicked, or, you know, I always started with a brain smart start. And so, at the end, I just always said, you know, if you want me to come in and model a brain smart start or if you want to do a brain smart start and I can come in and just watch, you know, I'd be more than willing. And so I think that I was keeping an open mind and I was showing my mistakes and showing my journey that it made it a lot easier for them to welcome me in because that is very hard. Um To have a peer in there, but they knew that I was not going to judge them, that I was truly there to help them.
0: Right. And you remain completely authentic with them, you know, because this is a journey and and Mm -hmm. I don't know about anybody else out there, but I've taken many journeys and taken the wrong turn. Absolutely. (laughs) And it's not like I'm a bad person or a horrible person or a stupid person. I just had to figure out how to get from where I got lost back to where I could be found.
1: Right. Right. And I just, you know, I lived it and I just showed them through my living it, what to do as well. So that helped them a lot.
0: So when you went into the classroom, so you would model lessons? Did you work with individual children? Tell us about your coaching process within the class.
1: Sure. A lot of times I would go in, especially the first time I went in, and I would just kind of watch because usually the teachers wanted me to come in because there were those students that they were having trouble with. And so Like I said, a lot of the times I would go in and just kind of observe and I would see what was going on. I would connect with some of the students that I knew the teacher was having difficulty with. And then I was able to walk them through some of the problem solving or some of the breathing exercises. And the teacher had the ability to watch me help that particular student. So I would do that sometimes. Sometimes um, teachers asked me to come in and model the time machine. And so I would bring my time machine and I would sometimes even brought two of my students from fourth grade with me and I would have them model how to use the time machine and then I would have the students in that class do some of the time machine with me in there so the teacher could hear me coach them. Sometimes I would go in and do a brain smart start or like I said, I would watch the teacher do a brain smart start and they would ask for feedback. So it was really kind of whatever the teacher wanted, I would do. And then sometimes the teacher would actually come in my classroom and just watch watch how things were going in my room and how I handled conflicts or how I did a brain smart start or how I set up a safe place. Now, how did the administration deal with this?
0: Because, you you know, you guys are walking back and forth across the hall, it seems like to me. Right. So, who's watching the children? Or did the administrator know you were doing it? Did they support you doing this? Did they encourage it? Did they help you find time to do this? Did they see the value? What was going on?
1: Yes. In fact, we have a brand new principal. Uh, she started a little bit over a year ago, and she was gung-ho conscious discipline. So her and I connected right away. And I kind of told her about my past and some things that I were doing. And so she gave me the go-ahead and the blessing to have the meetings twice a month and to make it voluntary. And I actually went to other classrooms on my planning. So it was actually my, my break time um, that I was willing to give up. So my students were at Related Arts with another teacher. And so you know, she said, you know, you don't have to do this. And I said, no, I know, but I want to do this. And then vice versa with the other teachers, when they wanted to just come watch my classroom, they would come on their break time. Um, But we do have a principal that is extremely willing to cover our classes if we ever want to go into another room and observe. So we've been very lucky with that support.
0: Wonderful. So do you have a story of a teacher that maybe was open but hesitant willing but resistant you know that state i'm talking about like come in don't stay out that she actually or he actually made a huge transformation do you have a specific that you could share with us
1: well yeah i just have a little story um with one and she's a teacher a support teacher and so brand new to our school brand new to conscious discipline just kind of started coming to my meetings and it was after a meeting where i was talking about noticing especially noticing when a child was in their survival state and they were just shut down and they, you know their head was down and so we practiced a lot in that meeting to notice you know your fingers going like this oh your toe went like this and you know and so it's hard when there's not children in the room to model this and to think it might actually work But the next day she comes in and she says, I'm so sorry, Mrs. McGraw. Can I just talk to you in the hallway for a moment? I said, sure. So we go out in the hallway and she goes, holy shit, that stuff works. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I said, okay, great. What stuff works? She goes, the noticing. She was telling me about one of her children that she pulled out of the room to work with. And he was completely shut down and his head was down. And she goes, in the past, I would have said, get up. It's time to do work. Lift your head. What are you doing? You're lazy. You know, she's going through all her her CD-ROM of what she would have said. But she says, "Okay, what would Alyssa do? And so she said she started noticing. And sure enough, she got his eye contact. She took a deep breath with him. And she noticed him. And she said, I'm noticing that you're feeling frustrated or you seem frustrated. How can I help you? And she said at that moment, she had his willingness, and he talked to her, and he just said, you know, this assignment's too hard. I need help. So she taught him how to ask for help, and she said her life is forever changed. (laughs) So it was just a really great story because sometimes it feels like, oh, my gosh, can this really possibly work? But it does.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and that's the beauty of this peer coaching. That is the beauty of coaching Mm -hmm. itself, that you can actually be there. I had this one teacher – And I got the opportunity to go into our classroom, and they were doing some transition. I mean, these kids had to be at least fifth grade, and it was just ultimate Mm -hmm. chaos in this classroom Mm -hmm. just to put this book away and get the next one out. And I thought, I couldn't live in this. And so I got behind the teacher. I didn't know the kid's name, you know, so I'd have to go, turquoise shirt, just say, you put the book on the shelf. And then I'd go, red pants, you sat down and got out your book. And she just starts repeating what I say in her ear. And right in front of her, the room organized. The kids did what she asked. And she looked at me like, oh my gosh. Right. You know, she'd won the lottery.
1: Right. But it
0: couldn't have happened unless I was there with her, kind of like you did, and that she had access to somebody. So have you had any complaints? Do you have any conflicts in your peer coaching? Have you got into it with a teacher somehow?
1: Not at all in my peer coaching. I think because the meetings were completely voluntary. There is there is some conflict in this school as there is going to be when something new is coming about. And I know there are some teachers who right now are not willing to try. And so we're working with them and just trying to still model and be that change, not force that change. And So I'm not quite sure what next year holds. My principal is really hoping to go school-wide, but I really, truly just, you know, I want to work with the teachers that are willing, that want to be that change, and I think eventually it will trickle. So I know there's going to be conflict moving forward. I just haven't had it quite yet right now.
0: Yeah, and so for everyone listening, when you're talking about transformational change, which means you've got to change your mindset, you've got to change what you've believed all your life and flip it over. That can't be forced. That's got to be inspired. And people have to be willing to change their mind. And then once you change your mind, then you've got another skill set to learn. So I hope you're hearing what Alyssa is saying, that it's so crucial that we work with those who are willing and give the others time and space. They either come along or they don't, or often they go away. One thing we do ask people if we're doing a school is that all we're asking of the ones who do not want to participate is just wish well those who are because as all of us know, change is hard. And sometimes yeah. by asking them just to wish us well, you don't have to do anything else, just wish us well. Sometimes that cuts down them clicking up together and sabotaging the group.
1: You're so right. And I think another thing on that same note is, you know, it's easy for us to try and want to force it because we believe so much in it. We have to remember that if, if they just say the words— and not truly have the intent behind it, it's not going to work. And so that's kind of been what I've reminded myself, that if I force them, it's probably not going to work for them or their students. So I'm just going to let them join as they find necessary.
0: Exactly. (laughs) They say we do conscious discipline, but basically they just (laughs) decorate their classroom because it really is a mindset and it's all about our intention. That's right. So Okay, so let's say... I'm listening to this podcast and I'm thinking, you know, I've got a little bit of interest going around my school. I'm the only one there. I'm thinking maybe possibly doing some of this peer coaching, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure yet. So if I was thinking about that, what would be three things you would remind me of or tell me that's very important so that I could be successful?
1: I would say definitely start off slow you know, when I first started having the monthly meetings, I, I sent an email to the entire staff, but I, I was not expecting the entire staff there. So I just put feelers out and I said, you know, some of you have been asking me what I do in my classroom. I'd love to meet with you and talk with you. And like I said, the first year I was lucky if there was 10, 10 teachers in there. So I'd say definitely give yourself grace and, I guess don't set yourself up for failure. Don't expect everyone to jump on your bandwagon just because you love it so much. So give it time. Another thing that I have found that's been really, really helpful to spreading it is actually involving my own students in going to other classrooms, especially the younger classrooms, and sharing conscious discipline, whether they read Schubert books together. Maybe they're the ones that are modeling the time machine. And so now it's actually coming from students and not necessarily just me. So I have found that to be very, very helpful. And then just living it, just being that change, not really talking about it, but having people notice it and making those connections in the monthly meetings. So then they are willing to have you go into their classrooms is extremely important because if I just put out an email back in August and said, hey, I want to come to your classroom and coach you and watch you do a a brain smart start, I think there would be resistance. But we got to know each other through these monthly meetings. And then they said, hey, will you come out? I really want to try this, but I'm feeling a little nervous. And so we became a team.
0: Brilliant. Brilliant. So everyone listening, start off slow, number one. Two, involve your own students. Nothing more powerful than having a student tell you how they are doing it in their own lives. Three, live it. Just become the person you want others to be. And in doing so, that opens your heart and mind to make these beautiful, beautiful, authentic connections that pave the way for collaboration. So Alyssa, I want to thank you so much for joining us and sharing this process because, I mean, I learned something. And I'm sure those listening got an idea of how they could start this process, too. And congratulations on your persistence, your passion, your inspiration, dedication. And we'll see what happens at your school. But it doesn't matter what happens at your school. It matters what happens with you and your classroom. And I'm so excited that you're a part of our CD family. Thank you. So thank you very much. I hope you'll come back and talk to us again.
1: Thank you, Becky. I will. It's been quite an honor. Thank you for having me. All right. And so now, what's
0: Becky up to? Well, at this point, I'm trying to get a little more fit mentally, physically, and spiritually. Now, I'm a meditator, and sometimes I fall off that wonderful meditative wagon. So I'm recommitting to my spiritual practice, uh, which to me is, in my opinion, the foundation of all mental and physical health. So I'm going to om, chant, namaste, sit in silence and work myself back to my I am presence, uh, knowing that peace begins with me. So that's what I'm up to. And our celebrations. Some of you might have listened to this podcast from uh, Abby Cruz, who talked about her school, the playing field, which is serving kind of three levels of kids, homeless kids, kids, kind of uh, at-risk kids and then middle-class kids all in one setting from different funding sources and kind of to level that playing field so that all the parents get to know each other and realize that we're all on the same team. And so what happened uh, since that podcast is the First Lady of Wisconsin, that would be the governor's wife, has arranged for the playing field to host a delegation from Norway to show best practices in trauma-informed care— So congratulations to Abby. Congratulations to the Norway people. Congratulations to the First Lady of Wisconsin. And certainly to this constant, constant change that's happening into our world. And with that, until next time, I wish you well. For more episodes of Real Talk with Real Teachers by Dr. Becky Bailey, visit ConsciousDiscipline.com forward slash podcasts. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app.